Hello, welcome to IntelliCast. This is season three, episode 36. Uh, I feel like it's been forever since we've done one. We were doing two a week. Um, it's been at least a week, Brian. How, how are you? I am doing pretty good. Yes, it has. It's been over a week. Yeah, it's been, it feels like forever. Uh, joining us today is not only producer Brian, but Jason Enderhees. Hello, Jason. Hello. Great to be back. <laughs> it's been a long yeah. time. I know it feels like a year since you've been on, but it's only been six weeks or so. I know, right? I feel like the last time we were all talking, things were much more normal, though. I will say that. Yeah, was that the episode where we were like, ah, coronavirus, that's nothing. I didn't want to bring it up, but I did kind of downplay it. And I feel like such an idiot now. We all Four did. months later. <laughs> yeah. I think there were like, I don't know, three in a row. I remember Rory Deneen of Pole Party fame. Also, she and I did a podcast. We were like, ah, it's nothing. And here we are, like you said, four months later, separated by, you know, 50 miles each. <laughs> yeah. So. Well, I'm glad I'm not alone there. We were all on the same page. We were just on the wrong in the wrong book. That's all. Yep. So uh, thanks for joining, Jason. Excited to have you. Um, Jason and Brian will be the guests today in this episode, as always, brought to you by EMI Research Solutions. You can reach us at IntelliCast at EMI-RS.com. You can follow us on Twitter, EMI underscore research or IntelliCast1. And please leave us a text or a voicemail at 513-401-5463. Brian, what do we want to cover today? A lot of news, huh? We do have a lot of news. Um, you want to start off with a more fun one? Uh, we have a public update. Oh, yeah. Let's start off with that. So for those of you that don't listen to every episode or every second of every episode, we've talked about Publix a lot this year. It's become one of our P's that we talk about. I identified someone that I know a couple of weeks ago that works at Publix Corporate and and listener said, hey, let's let's get them on the podcast. They couldn't get on the podcast because of, you know, bureaucratic issues, right? And, you know, big companies like that, it's hard to get approvals and, you know, they monitor what you say. I get it. But I did send them a few questions and they answered them. So I'm going to read through it real quick. So I asked, um, are there any secret Publix products that an insider would recommend? And they said, oh, good question. All the Publix premium ice creams, the black colored pints are very good. Which is like that's if that's not amazing insider information, I don't know what it is. They said they make all these interesting flavors in house, uh, constant rotation with new ones coming out frequently. So if you are in the South or where a Publix is located, the Publix premium ice cream—that's what the our insider has said. Do you like ice cream, Jason or Brian? Yeah, I'm in on ice cream. I mean, with with graders here locally, I can't. It's hard not to be. Uh, yes. I can't say that ice cream's a big fan of me, but I am a big fan of ice cream. <laughs> <laughs> with a little personal information for you there <laughs> well yeah, we, we eat a lot here seeing as i have two little kids there it might be a giant container of frozen branded ice cream yeah. from frozen the movie with okay it's not the best ice cream but my kids like it because it's frozen so well jason you and i both scored concert tickets in charlotte north carolina in august and maybe we can take a trip to Publix. Um, oh what maybe. a time to be alive live music are you kidding me yeah, live music um, at a drive-in. We're going to see the Avett Brothers. And I, I don't see how this is canceled, but I'm knocking on wood. I think we'll actually listen to some live music and hang out. So that'll be so much fun. 
We couple we couple that with a visit to Publix and sports going on too. This may be sensory overload. I don't know if we can handle all. I know too much good news in one day. <laughs> hey, the 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 questions didn't end there though. The we asked about the chicken tender sub, and um, chicken tender sub is another good one. But you have to order it with ranch and buffalo sauce, and apparently they'll mix the sauces in a baggie with the tenders, Whoa. and that is the best way to order it, according to the insider. And not only that, the the sub, the chicken tender sub, has a strange website dedicated towards it, and it's rpublixchickentendersonsale.com, which is one of the greatest websites I've ever been to because it's a combination. All it does is just tells you if check, if the sandwich is on sale, but the website is like built as if it's like 1998, the beginning of the internet. It cracks me up. We have to put this in the show notes. Our Publix Chicken Tenders on sale.com, my new favorite website. It's amazing. Did you go to it, Brian? I have not yet, oh, but I yeah. will. Um, and then we asked if the people in corporate are as nice as the people in the actual stores. And the response is the corporate office is easily as friendly of the stores, if not more so. A lot of companies preach the one big family atmosphere, but Publix is very genuine about it. And like that's an amazing response. Like I'm, I'm just happy that someone from Publix responded and kind of played along with our uh, running storyline with Publix, and that, that's all I heard. But that was great, right? That's perfect. You can't, you can't ask for anything more than, hey, how, how does, how does corporate look and feel, and then get a corporate reply <laughs> right. that they're fantastic. Right. Right. Exactly. <laughs> so for those avid Publix listeners, I know you're out there. There you go. That's the closest we could probably come to a guest, at least till Jason and I go to Publix in North Carolina, and maybe I'll bring along the podcast and try to interview somebody again. But there's the Publix update, Brian. That sounds great. Maybe I think you should film you getting a pub sub. Dude, it's so good. Oh, yeah, so good. All right. Do you want to change it over to some market research news? Yeah, let's talk. There's there's a lot of news, right? There is. Um, Well, let's start it off. Directions Research has announced several new promotions, including Jason Ebbing to COO, Carly Metzger and Beth Finn to SVPs, and Tim Lake and Cindy Tullis have also expanded their roles. Yeah, so, you know, Directions Research, a fantastic Cincinnati-based company. It's awesome to see people being promoted, uh, especially during today's times, right? And I know Jason Ebbing, I don't know him real well, but I know that he joined the company earlier this year. He came from Engine. He had been there a long time. Um, becoming COO is awesome move for him. I can't imagine joining a company in January and going through all the changes that he's seen. Um, and another one other note is that Carly Metzger has been a friend of mine for a long time. I knew Carly before she was Carly. She was like two weeks out of undergrad when I met her. And I somehow chose a good seat in grad school right next to her. And I owe a lot to her. So I'm glad to see her promoted because um, another little story about Carly, she let me um, kind of live with her for a month when I moved to Cincinnati. She um, and her husband, Matt, great people. I was moving to Cincinnati, didn't know where I wanted them live. And so they kind of gave me their extra bedroom. This is before they had children. And I don't think they would give me that opportunity today, but 20 years ago, they did. So good job of directions research. It's always good to see local company, people getting opportunities. Yeah, that's great. Next story, we have some more news. Measure Protocol has hired, hired John McLaren as its new as, as new VP of sales. Yeah, so I don't I don't know of John, but apparently he worked at Comscore for a long time. And I do have, I looked him up before when I saw this, and he lives in San Francisco. And I, I think Measure is continuing their trend of having 
their employees are more spread out than ours. Like I know they have somebody in Toronto, they have people in UK, um, Jacksonville. And I mean, obviously the next choice is San Francisco. Let's add another time, time zone to this. But um, I know they've been looking for that position for a while and measure protocol. They were on the podcast, I guess, about a month ago. Uh, good friends of ours and good to see them expanding. Look for more, than, more from them to come this year, definitely. Yeah. Our next story, Schlesinger has brought together a number of existing units to form a new dedicated Schlesinger Clinical Research Division. You know what? I deleted this story in my timeline, so I wasn't prepared to address it. But Schlesinger is in the news, I swear, every two weeks. And so it's good for them. I know they do a lot of healthcare stuff, but it's definitely their expertise. So good for them. I feel like they're slowly taking over the world. (laughs) I mean, many acquisitions and mergers and just like they're building out this suite of services that literally encompasses nearly every facet of the MR space. Yeah, they have healthcare, they have a panel, they have all this qualitative expertise, they have uh, in-person stuff, they have online qual. Um, I feel like I know a lot of people that work there now between all their acquisitions. And yeah, Schlesinger, Schlesinger is now kind of getting to that tier where they're going to start compete with the big boys, I think. So good for them. Agreed. Couldn't agree more. Yeah. Um, I'm going to go a little out of order here. But our next one is Market Vision, another local Cincinnati company, has promoted Sherry Richardson to VP of Client Development. Yep, I saw that. Another great Cincinnati company. They're right up the road, and you know they're friends of the of EMI, and they had a couple other promotions as well. Uh, Kate Catterjohn and Laura Stafford, I saw, and so um, I think research in Cincinnati hopefully is rebounding. These are good signs for at least the community here, and hopefully the broader market research community. Yeah, I love to see this too, Brian. They, they, similar to the directions piece that you just covered, it's awesome to see this type of, you know, these types of promotions and, and movement and shifting in positions and opportunities in, you know, what we've been through four, yeah, four months now of, of a yeah. pandemic and these yeah. types of people. I mean, this is kind of your, your silver lining, kind of light at the end of the tunnel stories that you want to see, especially among companies with such good folks from top to bottom. Yeah, and I think completely agree, Jason. Good point. And I think that companies are seeing this as an opportunity in some ways to kind of reset, reorg, um, experiment on things. And so um, those two companies have been just steadfast in Cincinnati, just rocks in Cincinnati forever. If you work in research in Cincinnati, you know somebody that works at both Market Vision and Directions Research. And um, so, yeah, couldn't agree more. Our next story uh, brought about some a very funny email chain here in the office, but LRW Group has rebranded as Material, bringing its 10 companies together under a single brand. Yeah, so um, LRW, another one similar to Schlesinger, I feel like they have just a, a lot of assets. You know, you probably know of Kelton, and if you're in research, you probably have heard of them. They're, they have a huge name and maybe Greenberg or Tonic, and um, so... Bringing them under the one under one brand name and yes, material. That's that's the brand name. Do you <laughs> can we get, can we expand on this? Okay. Yes. Well, initially we noted that a lot of the brand names companies have changed their name. So here's some examples. Um, LRW changed to material. ORC. We mentioned them earlier. They they changed to the engine. Um, what about two three years ago? Um, coupons.com they're another Cincinnati company right up the street you can see it from our office they're named Quotient um, InfoScout um, they renamed them to Numerator 
Federated sample, they're lucid. Active measure is now DISCO. More pace and MSI had a merger, I don't know, a year and a half ago or so. Uh, they're now named Escalant. And then, of course, Research Now and SSI, they became Dynata. In our chain, they rebranded with Greenbook into Veriglyph. And I was like, all of these companies are like one word kind of just nouns, I guess. And so we kind of batted around on some ideas about maybe um, changing the name of EMI. Is that summarize it pretty good there, Brian? <laughs> yes. And uh, I think everyone on this email chain had a different opinion of the yeah. list you provided. Yeah. Well, I'll go through Brian, my favorite top five. Let's see what, jump I got to say, Jake. Brian, before you dive in, I got to say, you put that so eloquent. <laughs> the, the email that was sent out, that we, we, we tossed around some ideas for new names of EMI. <laughs> Yes. Yeah. Much more professional than what really took place, but I love it for for the listeners. This 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 is it was well said. Put it that way. Yeah. But, well, I don't know what's going on, but that's where the same agency is changing the names of all these companies, and that's no offense to any of them. They're all good, great names. Here's my top five names to rebrand EMI, and I've already we've already trademarked them, so don't try to steal them. Um, number one, Spork. Spork. And by the way, I haven't told you all this. I was giggling so much about naming EMI Spork that yesterday I, on Amazon Prime, I ordered five sports, five um, stainless steel sports, which will be at my house when I get home from work today. And so Spork was <laughs> my favorite new name for EMI. Number one. <laughs> I'll just keep going. Number two, Pancake. Like, <laughs> I mean, who wouldn't want to work with a company named Pancake? You, you smile every time, right? Pancake. Don't try to steal that one. We've got it. With the, with the imagery you sent along with it right yeah. around breakfast time probably yeah. caused it to be so high. Yes. By the way, I spent way too much time. I probably spent an hour researching, well, brainstorming names. Number three, dumpling. Similar to pancake. I think a good food name is what we need as a company name. Dumpling is my next one. And then I went with pudding. Who doesn't love pudding? <laughs> I mean, so it was was that with the G, Brian? Pudding, not yes, pudding? pudding, not pudding with the um, asterisk at the end or the um, apostrophe at the end. It's, it's pudding, the, the yeah, Queen's okay. <laughs> version. And um, last one, this is one, another one of my personal favorites, Chomp. <laughs> See, of the list you provided, my yeah. favorite was Rhombus. Oh, you liked rhombus? I did. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I, th oh, I, I, I got to say, Spork was my favorite by a landslide. I am wholeheartedly <laughs> and fully committed. Uh, Pancake definitely caught my attention for all yeah. the wrong reasons. Yeah. And the fact yeah. that I can use a spork to knock out a pancake or pudding or any of the other foods that you mentioned. And I'm chopping while eating. I, yeah. I feel like this is all one big, <laughs> one big push towards food in general. Yes. Yeah. So look for our rebranding for us sometime in 2021. Um, Producer Brian <laughs> has a lot of work to do. Um, but yeah. I'm going to get called into a meeting because of this. No, I don't think this went too viral internally. It was just about five or six of us on the email. Oh, time but, well spent. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So. <sighs> Yeah, we would love your feedback on that, by the way. If you have a name that you'd like to throw out there, give us a text, 513-401-5463.
we should probably go back really quickly and just say again, this is not intended to make fun no. of or the industry. <laughs> We're not making fun of LRW at all. Anybody's uh, rebranding. Every they are all excellent names. Yeah. Half of them are clients. Half of them are partners. So. <laughs> right. The, all of the companies that I just mentioned, we have great relationships with. So we certainly wouldn't want to offend any of them at all. Um, we're just kind of having fun with the trend in marketing research. Um, that we're now moving to one word kind of consonants or not consonants, um, nouns. So, yeah. Spork it is. Spork. <laughs> oh, I think we've exhausted that one, Brian. We're already in probably enough trouble. All right. Um, the next three, let's start with, this one's a tad bit on more on the serious side. The Office of the Hong Kong Public Opinion Research Institute, a pollster there, was searched on Friday, July 10th. The search came ahead of a weekend primary election for Hong Kong's pro-democracy opposition, co-organized by the polling company. Yeah, this is – I'm really into kind of Hong Kong and what's going on with China, and it's disappointing. And, you know, they said it was a, quote, data leak. Um, That's the rationale behind it. But basically – you know, there's new laws in Hong Kong, which if you're into that, can research them. But police now have all these sweeping powers to kind of conduct searches without warrants and do all this stuff to kind of remove messages deemed to be kind of violation of these new rules. And this is part of that. And so it's too bad that we have all the pandemic and all of the things going on in America that we're just struggling through um, because this would be a big story. And I have a feeling that Hong Kong, the people of Hong Kong, are not going to win this battle. Um, but, you know, it's, it's just, it's back page news almost. Um, but in terms of research, it's kind of interesting that, you know, the Hong Kong Public Opinion Research Institute gets kind of thrown into this, um, which is why we're talking about it. But yeah, that's, it's just kind of interesting, I guess. I'll just leave it at that or I'll, who knows what will happen to me, right? <laughs> I wouldn't, yeah, be careful what you say, Brian. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We no, had a gap. Sad, though. I mean, talk about highs and lows. We were talking about Spork a second ago, and now one of the story like this, <laughs> right. you know, yeah. comes in, and it's it is it is super sad though because you you want to see you know people pushing things in the right direction, and it feels like this is a major step back. Yeah, and you know, we had a guest on last year who was in China, and um, we off the air we talked about, hey, can you talk about what's going on in China? And I think this was during the time of the kind of the NBA issue with China and things like that. And he was like, nope, I cannot mention part of it. So, yeah, it'll be hard to find somebody who'll be willing to talk about it on the ground and anywhere, really. Yeah. Our next story, Walmart was sued under CCPA after a data breach violation. So, yes, CCPA is still around. Oh, well, you know, CCPA started earlier this year, but it really wasn't the enforcement began July 1st. And it took all of what, 15 days for somebody to go after Walmart. Um, that to me, that's the interesting part is that, hey, who cares about your pandemic? Who cares about what's going on in America or California? Um, my rights have been validated. And by the way, it looks like they have like a lot of customer names and addresses and financial information were hacked. I mean, that's what happened is that people hacked it. And um, according to the federal court but and also by the way if if they're deemed to have damages each person would get 750 dollars. i learned that today that's kind of interesting oh wow that's uh <laughs> that's yeah that's pretty interesting i didn't realize that either i didn't honestly be like i didn't realize that they just started enforcing this at the beginning of july 
Yeah, um, so GDPR did the same thing. They said, all right, it's in law now, but you kind of had a grace period. I don't know how long that was, Brian, if you remember. It was like a year or more. Um, CCPA is a lot quicker, six months grace period, I guess, is what you'd call it. Yeah, and they're still going back and forth around that too because they're having other sessions on like renegotiating it. People are lobbying for different things. But it kind of like the Hong Kong story, this is kind of back page news with everything else going on this year. Yeah, they weren't the first company to be. I didn't recognize other companies that have had lawsuits against them, but obviously people are just itching to have their data reached by Apple or Facebook or Amazon or any of the big companies. And here comes, you know, of course, Walmart is one of the first ones. Yeah, I guess. Uh, well, I saw Salesforce was on that list as well. It's, it's interesting to uh, uh, starting at the top, going after the big boys first. Yeah, let's get let's get some money. And that's, I mean, yeah, right. Those are some serious accusations. I guess I, when you offer some kind of incentive like that, though, to people for coming forward or that, you know, that are I shouldn't say for coming forward, that are going through, you know, having their <laughs> their personal information out. And I mean, that's uh, yeah, it's it's pretty it's pretty interesting. The incentive piece is uh, brings out a whole new, you know, different path of thought for me. Yeah, definitely. All right. And in our final news story. Ravenpack, a New York-based big data analytics firm, has launched a platform it describes as, quote, an alternative to polling, offering projections and analysis for the forthcoming U.S. presidential election. Their new approach uses sentiment analysis measured by thousands of news stories about each candidate's policies and personal life, historical voting patterns, and media attention received by each candidate to forecast election results. In the time of fake news and the lack of trust in polling, I thought this was pretty interesting. What about you guys? Yeah, I, I definitely found it interesting. And um, let me start with the I'll start with the fun stuff first, and then I'll get to the serious stuff, and then I'll go to Jason. Um, I, I didn't know of Ravenpack. By the way, they've been around since 2003. They've been around for quite a while. And I went to their website to find out more about, about what they do, and I went to their about part of their website and I don't know if you've been there, but they're all dressed alike and it looks like they're on a scavenger hunt. I just found that really interesting. Um, employees at Raven Pack are having a lot of fun other than predicting elections. But in terms of the forecasting model, it, it talks about three key inputs, which I think is super fascinating. How this, and it's going to be public. I think it's going to be for all free. The three inputs are number one, the level of media attention received by a presidential candidate. And they say that's correlated with election success. So thinking about the media attention, I mean, I mean, one candidate just gets so much um, media attention, and I'm not it's certainly not all positive. Far from it. Um, so that's the first one. The second one is kind of sentiment, and that's measured from like news stories around policies and personal life. And our current president probably fails miserably on that one. And then the third one is social and economic sentiment by state, which provides a proxy for sitting president's approval rating and chances of re-election. So how they kind of mold this together, the forecast model, I'm kind of fascinated to see how this works out. But um, it's kind of interesting that they're using artificial intelligence to kind of predict this. And um, who knows who will trust it, but I'm, I'm kind of going to monitor it. Yeah, I feel the same way. I, I, I was fascinated specifically by the the media attention one. That That just... At first, I just kind of dismissed it after reading it, and I went back and I thought, you know, this is there's some key pieces in here that, you know, could 
obviously have a significant impact. I mean, you look at, like you said, Brian, the, the media attention that our current administration is getting um, or or the people that are going to be, you know, the opposite end of, you know, running a, against, um, you know, Trump in the upcoming election. Right. Like what are all these what is is it just one of those um, scenarios that are playing out that, you know, any attention is good attention, like any any media or press coverage is good or do you take the good with the bad? Is the bad really going to have a negative impact? I don't know. It's it, yeah. I'm, I'm pretty fascinated by it. Yeah, I'm, I'm fascinated. And I I mean, we should do we'll do an election episode soon, but I feel bad for pollsters. I feel bad for anybody trying to predict anything that's going to happen. Um, I'm almost to the doomsday part of the election that I'm I feel convinced that it's going to go through the courts. And I feel convinced that the, there's going to be a mail portion of it where people will be mailing in their ballots and that'll be controversial and we won't be able to count them for a while. And I think this will be worse than 2000. Um, so maybe it's best to just kind of forecast it with using these key inputs and rather than, you know, surveying people and get bashed in the media, um, regardless of um, the side you're on, I feel like a poll, a pollster right now can't catch a break. I, I couldn't agree more. That's I, I, was, I had the same thought of it really, truly, does not matter who what the results are of these elections because nobody is going to have faith that they were done accurately and responsibly and i just that's a sad thing to say because you know it's such an important election as are all elections but I, i don't know it's it's a very i feel like we've been down this path in the past but it's so much more in your face this year um, or the, for this election, I think than it has been in the past. Yeah, or maybe it's just getting more coverage. Whatever the case is, um, the the you know the sad part about the sad reality of it is that no matter what the results are, it it's you know somebody's going to doubt it. Yep, but certainly new election episode to talk about this in more depth. But Raven Pack, good for them. Get get a lot of news out there. Um, so an alternative polling. Yeah, I'd love to compare their results to some of the other polls out there and see if they're in line or are they showing major differences? I think having a little comparison would be great. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, maybe um, Nate Silver will put that in his model and, you know, people that compile all the different polls, let's, let's test it. Right. That's right. All right. Moving on to our big topic for this week, the grit report. Yeah. I thought for sure, by the way, before we get into this, I thought for sure that was going to be our big topic of the week, baseball starting. I'm still waiting to get there, guys. <laughs> oh, this is the second time I brought it up. Three days and five five hours from the point we're recording this, the Cincinnati Reds will be playing a baseball game. And I am going to cry thinking about what I'm going to be doing Friday night to watch baseball. I've been watching a little of the preseason, and it kind of makes me sad because of the lack of fans. Oh, I can't wait. We have baseball this week. We have basketball next week. Uh, Producer Brian is itching to talk about hockey coming back in another week. Seven days, baby. (laughs) And, you know, we have MLS going on. And, you know, things are starting to maybe sort of get close to almost normal. But, yeah, baseball, man, I can't wait. Okay, we we got it out there. I just I wanted to wanted it to be known. Baseball is starting. Yeah, Reds are well, on, their way, on their way to the 60-win season. Well, other than Canada has banned baseball, and we know that. <laughs> the they banned Canada. the traveling. They've okay. banned the traveling. 
if they had if the Blue Jays could have had a lot more home games in a row, it would have been approved. But MLB said no, so they said we can't approve you. Nope, it's it's America's pastime. This is a declaration of war, and I'm not happy about it. All the all the hockey is in Canada. All the baseball is in America. I don't know what's right. It is. <laughs> this is kind of funny. So I'm going to go down a little hockey path, and I'll try to keep this to about a minute. Okay. When they were deciding the hub cities for the NHL, which were announced as Edmonton and Toronto a couple weeks back, it started off with Vegas being your leader, and everyone else was kind of hoping for it. Um, And up until like the day before they announced Vegas was going to hold it. And then you saw a big spike around the cities here. And that was about when the spike started to happen here in the U S and you're like, and the NHL, I'm like, Nope, you lost it. And they're like, we're just going to send it to Canada. They're going to be locked up in bubbles. I mean, you're talking Edmonton that has very few cases a day. Same with Toronto has the most and you're talking they're less than a, they're in the tens per day. So I think that's a good scenario since they are going to be in bubbles in places where there's not a whole lot. And it sounds like they're getting set up with a ton of different amenities. They've rented out a couple different hotels in each of the cities. Yeah. So, well, I'm excited. Two points. Number one, they can still play hockey outdoors, even though it's the summertime. I think you could play outdoors in Edmonton. And also I think it's interesting that all the major sports are playing in different countries. So hockey in Canada, baseball in America, and basketball in Florida. <laughs> Thank you, Jason. I know my geography that was a little good. sketchy. That was good. I had not realized that Florida was another country. I must have missed that on my, on my citizenship exam. <laughs> um, Brian, it's in the grit like- report. Yeah. Read it. <laughs> yeah, that was a good I'll bring us in a circle. Not on the group report. <laughs> um, uh, all right, I've completely derailed us. So my job is done here. <laughs> Let's get to the grit report. I'll let you start, Jason, but um, the grit report came out, I guess it was last week. And um, if you're not familiar, the grit report, um, it's an aggregate of responses from like market research suppliers, from clients, insights professionals, over 2,000 interviews among researchers. And um, it's a peer-based survey. It's been going on for years. And this is from Green Book. It's, they consider it to be a good proxy for business growth, a useful snapshot for strategic planning, and a key metric used to assess a company's position in the marketplace. There's the intro. Jason, I know you read it from cover to cover just like I did. Um, it's impossible to read it all, by the way. It's like, I don't know, it feels like 200 pages. Um, Jason, do you have any big takeaways you'd like to talk about? Yeah, you know, it is. There's a lot of information. I mean, the first piece that immediately grabbed my attention is the fielding dates, right? Like March oh, yeah. 11th to April 6th, I think yes. it was. <laughs> like, can you ask for, you know, right. worse timing than or better? I mean, <laughs> I know um, it's it's a shame and extremely interesting at the same time. Yes. <laughs> and I. I love how Lenny put that spin on it too, of saying, yes. you know, hey, we didn't plan this one, um, right. so it wasn't the pandemic. Two, yeah. yeah, it was just, you know, you got some results that were were people on the front end really not knowing what was, you know, what was coming, obviously, and then you've got some results that are coming after that very initial hit of, hey, this is a serious, t- you know, topic that we need to, you know, we need to take a little more serious than your typical flu season, right? So yes. Um, I, anyway, the, so that's the first piece that was fascinating to me, the, the timing of it alone. 
yeah, the timing is fascinating right. to me. And there's a whole section on COVID in the back. I didn't really honestly read all of that section, but there's a ton of information on what people were thinking in that time period. And so it's definitely worth a read. But keep going. Yeah, absolutely. That that section in the back, um, I, I think it's just, it's got a very wide, I thought they did a good job of providing a wide variety of, of kind of difference in opinion and a good job of really navigating a tough, tough um, message, I guess. Yeah, definitely. To the industry and, and from, you know, again, kind of acknowledging all different points of view and perspectives as a whole. That's that's a tough sell in, in this climate. So, you know, kudos and hats off to, to them for pulling it off because they, you know, it, it had the typical information around like the industry trends. Um, I, I always find it fascinating, you know, to look at like research spend and how there's a significant jump in IT or retail versus um, a decrease like in the the CPG non-durables or education and government, you know, all of those pieces um, are fascinating. And then you get into like people's different attitudes toward automation. And then they got into kind of diving in a little deeper of how that changed in the beginning of the survey versus folks that took it at the end and how, you know, I, I, I don't know. There was a lot of cool pieces um, that, that you could pull from that. I'm Brian, I'm sure you were just, your mind was probably going all over the place being in, you know, in, in your, uh, with your skill set. Yeah, it's just, it's so much to read. I've been trying to sit down and read it in preparation for this. And we've delayed this podcast a couple of times and I read a little bit more. It's just a lot to take in. Um, I try to focus on the sample part. One, a couple of things I found interesting was um, if you're reading along or listening along at home, I'm going to give you page numbers. Page four, they talk about the most innovative client list as being stable and I just found it really interesting. You have a mix of like what most people would consider really innovative companies like Google, um, Amazon, Apple, Microsoft. And then it's mixed with like very traditional brands like P&G, Unilever, Pepsi and Coke. And I just found it really interesting. And I don't I don't know if it's um, an awareness thing, if those are just the companies that have the highest awareness or if they're really, truly innovative. And maybe they are. It's just, I feel like it's, I'm unaware, I'm ignorant to a lot of the things that a lot of those people are doing. And so I just, I found it, I always find that interesting because it's pretty, it's the same list it is almost every year. And I, I just found it interesting. I saw that too, Brian. And it was, I, you know, you see they have it, you know, I'm t- trying to paint a visual here, <laughs> but, you know, they have the list itself and they have it ranked one to 50 or whatever that is. And then they have the previous year rankings and you're right. Everybody in the top 25 seemed like they just kind of shifted one or two positions. Yep. And the stability, I was just, because I actually looked at the supplier side, that list of most innovative lists first. Yeah. And then went back to the brand side. And I was just like, man, there's so much, like the stability on the side that we're talking about now with your P&Gs, your PepsiCo's, you know, all of those, it's, there's so, such a little amount of change compared to the alternative list on the supplier side where 13 out of the 50 are brand new additions to the list, right? Yep. And you've got like significant jumps. Anyway, I don't want to take away from what you were going at there. No, no, no. This is perfect. Um, like the supplier ranking was also, you have a mix of very traditional brands, Epsos, Cantar, Nielsen, Dynata, very traditional market research suppliers, right? And then you have a lot of innovation. Zappi is in there. Hot Specs is in there. I guess Qualtrics. Um, LRW is in there, um, Dig Insights. And so, I don't know, it's just, it's it's hard for me to understand 
just how it's come. I don't know. It just it's hard for me to comprehend. Think and have a big takeaway from what's going on in the industry. I think is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, I, I agree. That some of those double digit jumps, you know, companies like PRS and like you said, Dig or Skim or Shapiro and Raj, you know, I those names have been around for a while. You know, a handful of them anyway. Like PRS, yeah. and Dig and Shapiro anyway, and just to see them, you know. It's just anyway, but I don't want to call it instability because it's not a bad thing whatsoever. Yeah. It's the just just change in general, seeing that, which is I think a good sign for the industry as a whole, and, and should say speak volumes to you know that end client or brand side of saying, you know, you got a lot to choose from. There's a lot of new players in the game, and good for the industry overall. You know, we're not going to sit still and you know become complacent. We're going to continue to strive for the next best thing. Yeah, that's a great point and. Um, when you go on like at pages 20, 22, it gets into more depth. And like, I found there's a lot of overlap between buyers and suppliers. As you mentioned, if a supplier or if a buyer thinks you're innovative, so does the suppliers. There's one couple of companies I want to mention though, and the data analytics providers, um, there's a little bit of separation with like IRI, which was number four for buyers, number 14 for suppliers. And that, that makes sense to me because I don't think about IRI a lot, but if I were a brand, I'd sure as heck be thinking about IRI a lot. The one that is the biggest surprise to me, and there's kind of a trend here, is 1Q. And 1Q was number, number five for the buyers, number 16 for the suppliers. Um, I'm a member of 1Q. I, I'm going to talk about them later in an article written by their um, founder. But um, fifth, fifth most mentions of data analytics providers, which means they're doing a really good job of providing value. And the value they're providing is exactly what we're preaching as an industry are short surveys. You incentivize everybody. It's quick and um, it's agile and it's what people are demanding. So them being fifth is a little bit both surprising and unsurprising to me at the same time. I'm not going to lie. I'm a little bit envious of you here because my big takeaway from 1Q was I need to learn more about them. (laughs) Well, I didn't. I I need. I mean, obviously, if they're mentioned that many times and I saw I just kept in that one Q, one Q, one, you know, throughout the entire report, it wasn't just on a specific page or about yeah. a specific, you know, specific topic. So um, while I'm a little bit embarrassed that I don't know, I will learn. I can promise you that. <laughs> yeah, we know that. I have too many post-it notes to go to the one Q article. So I'm going to go to my next point, which is the map, which is the map is like slides 12 and 13. How do you feel about the map, by the way, Jason? You know, <laughs> last year I was super excited about the map. Yes, because we were on it. Right, and we we still are. We're still on it. Yeah, we're on it. Yeah, just a different place and a different. I, so now I I don't know. I don't know if it's where we are in the world with all the, the pandemic going on, or if you know every <laughs> yeah. moment you turn on the news, it's a different you know negative spin to a different story or what. I, I don't know if yeah. I don't know if it's if it's all playing into that or what, but. I wasn't nearly as excited about the map this year, and I don't know why. Yeah, I, I kind of agree. It's to me, it's challenging because, like, just in the sample world, it's it's um, complicated, it's complex, right? And so we live in a world called Samplelania. I think that's how you pronounce it, Samplelania. And we live in a world with Lucid, Toluna, Borderless, Scent, WebMD is there. So good company, right? In, in Sampleania, but lots of other sample companies are in other lands. I guess that's what you call it. Like, for example, Dynata and Rewe are in Datania, meaning they're kind of more data-oriented, I guess. 
there's full service SIA, which um, Nielsen, obviously of the panel, but Nielsen, they're there. Kantar is in the strategic consultant world. But companies like Kantar and Nielsen, there are so many different things to different people, right? So to, to us, Kantar might be um, a sample provider. Somebody else, they might be an insights company. So in others, they might be a secret shopping company. So somebody else, they might be um, a technology company. I think it's a super challenging in our world to kind of put this in perspective and like disco in one queue, they're in strategia. I don't know. That's it was just it's it's interesting. I think it's I always think it's fascinating. It is. And there I don't want to take away from it or minimize the effort that went into it because there's obviously a ton of thought. I mean Oh yeah. You know, you got the clients on the one side, you've got the, a lot of suppliers on the other, you've got an ocean between them. And maybe that, maybe that's what shoved me in the wrong direction is because I'm trying to let's unite and all work together, you know, kind of message. But I do like that there is GDPR in the ocean in between the clients and the suppliers. I just noticed that right before we jumped on this, there's a sailboat with like DI wires. There's like this this serpent in the ocean that's GDPR ready to catch anything. I don't know. There's, there's a ton of thought that went into it. So I don't want to minimize oh, yeah. it. Um, oh, it no, just no, didn't, no. it wasn't, it wasn't as fascinating for me as last year. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cause it, yeah, it was so new. Oh yeah. I see them kind of floating in the ocean. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. This, this is a lot, so much work and but the visuals are amazing. Uh, they do a good job. I did find the, 1Q grit commentary from Keith Rensler. He's the founder and CEO of 1Q on page 67. And this is, it's called, it's time for a change. And you have to keep in mind 1Q, they provide data, but 1Q stands for one question. And so they incentivize respondents and you take one question. And I'm a member, you often get a pop-up for a question. You take it, you get paid either 25 cents or 50 cents, depending on what you sign up for. It's kind of a cool model. It's a little bit different than what we do. We most of what we do are very traditional surveys that I don't know what our average length is, but it's got to be you know twelve to fifteen minutes on the surveys we do. Their average length is probably measured in seconds. And so I wanted to mention a couple of points that he said, and I agree with him. I'll just say that, and we've had some LinkedIn conversations as well. But he said that the quality of data depends heavily on how it is obtained, and quality cannot be consistently achieved so long as the industry treats consumers like zero-value commodities to be mined for free, it's time for a change. So what he's arguing for is um, should not be a commoditized industry, should not, you should be treating respondents better, and I think most people agree with that. Um, so he's saying that we should start incentivizing people for their time. He also he has a couple of controversial points, though. He does say in this about breakage rate, which I don't know if I've heard that term before, but breakage rate I've learned recently is, is that, and this is kind of a maybe a dirty secret. I don't know if this is well known or not, but like, so for most panels, when they incentivize, they get points. And you can redeem those points for cash or gift cards, or you can donate to a charity. A lot of panel companies do that. Um, but typically, not always, but for many of the companies, you have to reach a certain threshold. Could be $20, could be $10, it varies. And you cannot redeem until you reach that threshold. So he's saying that some companies count on some people never reaching that threshold, and that's called breakage. And so whereas you might pay $3 for a survey, that's assuming that the respondent gets an incentive of some sort. A certain percentage of them will never get an incentive, which is interesting, right? And he said this is a system that treats honest respondents badly, meaning that 
honest respondents don't qualify for surveys sometimes, and therefore they don't get paid. And dishonest respondents, well, meaning the fraud. And he talks about the breakage here. Um, survey companies intentionally profit from breakage, and I'm not sure if I agree with that. I don't think there's a you know, malfeasance involved, but I do love this article because it's sample related and it's challenging the norms. Um, he talks about quality. He talks about the rise of the bot. He does a call for transparency, which I would read that if we had more time. He does talk about moving the industry forward. We need truth seekers who foundationally believe in the value of consumers' time and opinions and compensate them fairly and quickly for that. And so I'm hoping that people talk about this um, at a broader perspective, not just what 1Q does. Their model is different than most of the sample industry. I just talked a lot, Jason, about 1Q and this article, which some might think is a little bit controversial. And now that I read it out loud, maybe it's more controversial than I initially thought. Um, curious if you have any thoughts on that. Yeah, well, one, I feel like I just learned a lot about 1Q, so I can check that box. <laughs> no, but no, but on, and you know, in, in all seriousness, I, we, we've been having this, you know, industry-wide conversation about respondent incentive for, for just far too long. I mean, it's embarrassing that I can, I can think back 10 years ago when I started in market research, this same conversation was being had about respondent experience and, you know, are we paying them enough and are we paying them, you know, for their actually incentivizing them, I should say, for, for their time. And while all of that's shrinking, I mean, all of this is great conversation, but we, we have to do something about it um, as opposed to just continuing to talk about it. Yeah. And so I couldn't agree more with it on that piece. Like we ha we do have to take care of these folks. They've been, you know, kind of run through the ringer, if you will, over the, you know, the, the duration that I've been in the industry. Anyhow, it's, it's, it just doesn't seem like we're, we're making any progress there, but articles like this and, and um, you know, what companies like one Q and people pushing that agenda definitely are, are, are moving us in the right direction. I just hope we can get both clients and suppliers on board and rowing in the same direction, because that's the only way we're going to get anything done. Well said. Um, very fair. Um, so that's Keith Rinsler, 1Q, page 67, talking about quality and then lifting up the industry. And that's really the point of that article. And then there's, I guess, one more section I wanted to talk about, Jason. Um, and that's in the buzz topics section, the innovation section, 80, page 88. One of the Topics most frequently mentioned was methods and sampling, and it was mentioned more by um, the suppliers than the buyers, which to me means that, I mean, we know there's challenges in sample. Everybody knows that. Um, people like Keith and us and lots of people are very outspoken about it, but the I think that the brands had it a little lower on their list, and I think that means that a lot of full-service companies, a lot of our clients are doing a really good job of... I don't know if the word's fixing, but um, providing good insights despite the challenges they face from sampling. Um, but this is still, I think it was the number two buzz topic in the Grit Report. And so there's a lot of quotes there on page 88, which are kind of interesting and shocking. But like um, people talked about methods of sampling, including um, phone is no like this is a quote, phone is no longer representative and panel is crap. If we can't get quality respondents, we can't get quality data. We have nothing. People hate River. Hackers always find ways to cheat the surveys. Panel recruitment. I mean, there's just on and on and on here. There's a lot of like um, sampling information and around methods and um, the challenges that we face. And so it's certainly a buzz topic worth talking about. 
Um, we all have solutions in mind. We've written lots of blogs about it. There's lots of information about there about how lots of companies are doing to improve it and lift it up, including us. We've invested a lot to try to improve it. And so as most of our competitors and partners and clients even. And so um, I don't know if you have any thoughts about that buzz topic, Jason, but that was a little bit of a kind of a punch to the gut, I think, a little bit that it, so many quotes that made me feel a little uncomfortable. Yeah, when I was reading through that piece, I, I, I almost just like in my mind said, okay, dismiss that and move on to the <laughs> AI versus machine learning. Like, <laughs> right. Um, and, you know, but it, there is, I mean, there's some, some tough truths in there, tough to hear truths, I guess. Like you yeah. said, it almost is like a punch to the stomach, um, you know, that these are thoughts of people within our industry of saying, yeah. hey, you know, what are we doing? We're just spinning our wheels. We're just going through the motions. And it kind of goes back to that respondent incentive conversation and mindset too. Like, that's great. We can all sit around and point at what's wrong with our industry, but unless you're willing to take the right steps and, and push something, an agenda that's moving us in the right direction, then, you know, get off your soapbox. We've all had these these complaints and kind of moaning and groaning about these same pieces for over a decade now. Let's actually, as an industry, figure out how to do something about it and move forward or quit bitching about it. Dude, way to close this. Way to sum up the grit report right there. Let's put that quote on your LinkedIn profile. That was awesome. Um, Brian, we talked a lot about the grit report, but what about you? You probably have a perspective on this. What are your thoughts? So I read through it. You guys had a lot of great perspectives on it. Was it me? Maybe I'm just imagining it, but they didn't have like your traditional companies in last year's, did they? Did I just miss did I just block that out. It seemed like it was changed up from last year, which I appreciate Lenny's trying to keep it, keep it fresh by changing it up every year. Am I right on that? That he has changed it up though. Like the Googles and things like that, that were not in there last year. How he kind of split it the 25 and 25. Um, I think they were just not as prominent. Um, I think when we talked about last year, we focused really on the suppliers and less on the clients. Um, I don't think it was as prominent last year as this year. Okay, that's probably why I blanked it out. But I I like the split of all right. Here's the your they give like equal say to supplier and client side instead of and they kind of did away with all those extra grit categories. Yeah. Like here's your here's the top twenty five. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody was in the grit top billion last year, right? And so he, he took some heat or Green Book and Grit Report took some heat on that. And, you know, you still see lots of companies promoting, we're part of the Grit Top 50, when a lot of people are part of the Grit Top 50, and they should be promoting it. But um, I think you did dial it back definitely a little bit this year based upon feedback. Yeah, and we were one of those that said that, so. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm a marketing guy. I got to use what yeah. I have. Well, look, now, you know, some of the companies, are they kind of fly on the, under the radar intentionally. Like, just think about here locally. Burke and Directions Research are two. I mean, I know a lot of people that work there. They are super smart people. They work really hard, They're, but they don't have a huge marketing machine. Like you don't see a lot from Directions Research. You don't see a ton from Burke Research. But if you're in research, you know the brand name of Burke, right? They are well-respected. They've been around forever. They have the, some of the best researchers in the world. And the same thing for Directions Research and other companies that just don't – they don't go out there and tout and spin – and um, they, they just don't do that. They go out there and do work and serve their clients. And so I think that a lot of companies feel that this is kind of an awareness and a marketing kind of 
you know, that's how you get into the RIT report. And it's not truly a measure of who's the best researcher. And that's true. This is not a measure of who the best research company is, right? This is just a fodder for discussion and um, kind of the trends in the industry. And it's, it's so I get both sides of it. Um, but I, I think it's fair. I don't, I'm not going to be critical of anything they're doing. I think it's, they put this out there for free. I mean, that's amazing, right? Um, but we can sit there and talk about it. And we have 40 minutes of conversation around this report for free. Um, and they're not in the business. They're not a nonprofit, right? And so I don't know if you want to add to that, Jason or Brian, but that's how, kind of how I feel about it. No, I just, I, I kind of feel the same way. I don't envy the position whatsoever because it, it is hard. You're not going to appease all like the masses. There's going to be people that are left off the list that are scorned. There's going to be people that are left off the list that quite frankly don't care. Uh, there's going to be people that made the list and, and you know, it's going to be on every piece of marketing collateral that goes out about them. Right. Similar right. to EMI. So, right. Exactly. <laughs> so it's, you know, it's, uh, again, I don't envy the position. I think they do a tremendous job. Um, it, it's tough. And, you know, I, I think they do a great job for, for kind of the, the, um, the resources that they're given that they're to work with. Right. Yep. Good point though, Brian. Right. My only other my only other comment on that is going back to the dates that you guys talked about that this was done in that late March to early April, kind of the when states were just starting to get shut down and things like that. Yeah. I would love it if they did a follow-up, whether it's a special report or something like that, that has some more feelings on what's happening kind of now. Because yes. we all know from March on, stuff changed on not, I'm not even going to say a daily basis, almost hourly. Yes. Of what was going on. So well, I think they, yeah. they, they did address like towards the end, I think in that COVID section, they mentioned like, we can't wait for the fall issue. Yes. So, so there is yeah. a follow up coming. I, I'm, I'm guessing that's probably going to be in the September, October range, but uh, there, there'll be another issue. And that I think they will obviously dive into that COVID piece a heck of a lot more than the last couple pages. Yeah. And I think, yeah, I'm just hope I'm just hoping that they have something kind of in between because even yeah. if you did something now and the fall, you're going to get vastly different results. Right, yep. right. And Very like, true. Yes, absolutely true. And like you know, Insights Association did that survey throughout the you know early summer. They kind of bridged that gap, so you could you could if you wanted to read the Grit Report report from March April. Then you have Insights Association kind of stepping in. Then you'll have Grit Report that you could kind of kind of connect those dots. And um, I don't remember my other point um, on what you said, so I'll just forget about it. But <laughs> yeah, that's gone. I get what you're saying. It, that'll mm-hmm. kind of connect it to say, here's what's kind of happening and people's thoughts and opinions around it going all the way through. You just don't have it in one section. It's just oh, multiple resources. My other point was the timing of this. It's just really bad for Green Book in that – you know, they, they, they time all this out. This is not their first year doing this, that they do the survey in March, April. Then they have the big conference in June where they address a lot of the topics and they kind of, they ladder to each other and they complement each other. And so, you know, he, he, it's bad timing for the research. And then he loses the whole conference, right? And that's probably their big moneymaker of the year uh, other than advertising in this, this. I mean, we could talk, this is a whole episode on, you know, what happened to many different organizations and Green Book took a hit on this. And so... And it's awesome report. I'll just close with that. It's an awesome report. I'm happy to have read it. And um, there's so many good articles in there. We barely scratched the surface of what is in the grit report. And so if your focus is on sampling, 
we just spoke 45 minutes on it. We didn't even really talk all through the sampling part. And there's so much more around innovation and trends. There's so many companies in there that are really cool that I'd never heard of before that I'm learning about. Um, you get to learn from what the bigger um, supply side companies are doing in terms of innovation. And now they're all putting blogs out like Dynata put something out. Hey, we were whatever number we are and here's why. And so you can kind of learn. They'll put out the piece of why they think that they were um, ranked where they were and all the innovation things that they're doing. And so it, it's really driving the conversation of the whole industry. And so I'll close with that on a positive note. <laughs> okay. Anything else we need to talk about? I don't I think you have a rant. Oh, I'm skipping you? my rant. I feel like okay. That was just, this was a lot. This was a tough episode. I don't know about you, Jason. This was a t- this was a hard episode. I think. I agree. This was much more difficult than the previous episode that I was part of. It felt <laughs> a lot more businessy, even though I did say the B word, and I apologize. We're <laughs> gonna get that E rating that we've been trying to get for years. <laughs> well. This episode did require a lot more prep work than normal. Yes, it's just I wanted to, you know, I wanted to bring a good point or a good take on the grit report, and so I know you took it seriously too, Jason, because you obviously prepared for this very well. And um, it's just it's a lot of information, and so it's hard to soak all this in. And then we have like eighteen news stories um, on top of a public update. It was a tough episode, so I hope you all enjoyed it. Um, I'll close it with thanks for listening. Reach out, reach out to us with any feedback on this episode or any others. If you want to be a guest, if you have a topic that you want to talk about, if you work at Publix, you want to come on the podcast, that would be great. Um, 513-401-5463. And thank you, Jason Enderhees, for joining. As always, you added so much value to not just the podcast, but the company. We always appreciate you. And Brian, thank you so much. And listeners, thank you all. And we'll talk to you soon. Thanks all. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.